Hello? Wow. We have some amazing and really tough verses to go through today. I want to thank John for putting that intro video together. Great job, as always. Well, good morning, West Bowles Church. Uh, well, actually, wait, is it really a good morning? I mean, we all just lost an hour of sleep because of the bad daylight savings, right? So I was thinking uh, maybe I should say the eh or the decent or okay morning, West Bowles Church. Glad you're all here today. And uh, I was just thinking also, since we all just lost an hour of sleep, I know where we can find one. How about I just preach an extra hour so that we can make up for that time? Is that, is that oh, okay, I got two claps. Okay, I'll just keep going. Two, I mean, that's, that's you know, a half of 1%, so I'll just keep going. Um, Anyway, no, just kidding. I'll just preach my normal uh, 46 minutes and 15 seconds. Well, actually, in fact, uh, my family in the back there, they brought pizza. No joke. Can you just put that in the air? Yeah, thanks, Mom. Thanks, Dad. Really appreciate that. They actually brought pizza in case I go too long so they can have some nourish it, nourishment to make it through the second half of my sermon. All right, I love you guys. Um, well, it all uh, seems uh, to make uh, sense now. Um, I told the preaching team, that I could teach on Palm Sunday. I was like, oh, I'd love to take that date. That sounds great. You know what they said? No, 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 no. We have a special day for you, Ryan. How about March 9th? Oh, sure, I say. That sounds great. Well, thanks a lot, preaching team. I mean, uh, now I see why you had me uh, preach on this day, because three-quarters of the church congregation will uh, be sleeping um, during my sermon. So again, thanks a lot. Um, this morning, I did arm the ushers with 10,000-volt uh, uh, tasers. So if any of you start feeling a little drowsy, you start drooling, or if your head falls back a little bit, or maybe let's just say you do a long blink, um, the ushers are instructed to wake you up in a nice, like loving Christian kind of way with 10,000 volts of electricity. So just be careful. You know, don't don't blink this morning or you could be in really, really big trouble. Um, now, some of you actually um, are probably on a little bit of a sugar buzz because we did offer free donuts to all of you that were on time this morning. So hopefully you enjoyed those donuts. But uh, maybe some of you are, you know, ready to go and you're ready to run 15 miles. Well, anyway, uh, today is March 9th and tomorrow is March 10th, which means I'll be celebrating my 19th Christian spiritual birthday. So, I mean, that's just a big, that's a big day for me. I mean, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I think I'm going to go big for number 19. I don't know what that will be, but I'm going to go big. Um, I, I'll, I'll never forget coming into this church right here just over 20 years ago and hearing about a God who loves me. I will be eternally grateful. Uh, I am eternally grateful for West Bulls and uh, for Jesus dying on the sins, uh, dying on the cross for my sins. So, so thankful for all that. Well, also, so today's March 9th, tomorrow's March 10th. Last week was March 5th, uh, which was Lent. So we started Lent all the way up until Easter. And I'm giving up, and this is really tough, I'm giving up looking at my cell phone in bed. I don't know if any of you have problems with that, but when you wake up or right before you're going to go to sleep, you're like, 
going to check Facebook really quick, or I'm going to check the stock market, or my bank accounts, or transfer some money, or something. You know, is it snowing today? Is it going to snow today? You know, you want to look on your phone. So uh, my wife, who also instructed me nicely to give up my cell phone in bed, um, I'll be doing that all the way up until Easter, so we'll see how that goes. That is a tough addiction to break. Well, all right, well, let's get started. Our new series is on the Sermon on the Mount, Things That Matter. And last week, Dave McDonald taught on the Beatitudes. And next week, just so everybody knows, uh, Jeremiah Quinones, or I like to call him Quarkiquis, because his last name is so difficult. There's so many Qs and Zs in there. Um, But he'll be preaching on the Lord's Prayer next week, so you're not going to want to miss out on that. Uh, But no free donuts. Anyway, um, so today... I'm going to be talking and focusing on Matthew 5, 38 through 45, uh, where Jesus teaches on an eye for an eye. And um, our culture is infatuated with revenge. Think about all the TV shows and, uh, and movies about this topic. I mean, even in fact, they actually have a TV show named Revenge. Think about all the movies that are built on the premise of revenge, like Count of Monte Cristo and Gladiator. I'll never forget the first time I watched Gladiator. We were on a college church group trip in uh, Glenwood Springs, and we ordered this movie at we ordered this movie at 2 a.m. Um, from our hotel room. And one by one, everyone started falling asleep except for me. I could feel gl- the Gladiator's blood you know, flowing through my veins. And I know, I know what everybody is thinking right now. I know what everybody's thinking. Ryan, you watch these kind of movies, question mark, because um, I know what you're thinking. You all think that I only watch uh, movies that are typically seen by women and teenage girls, but that's not true. I watch all kinds of movies, even, uh, you know, man movies about revenge, all right? All kinds of movies, not just Twilight, but everything. Anyway, the, movies, uh, the movie Gladiator is about getting back, getting even, slowly uh, repaying back of painful revenge to his enemy who put him in this undesirable place. It's about a man on a mission of revenge, and he will do whatever it takes, wait however long, to satisfy that longing to get even. And I remember having so much hate for the emperor that at times it felt like I was Russell Crowe in those battle scenes. You know, I could (laughs) just imagine myself, John, you should have put like a sword in my hand. I need a sword and maybe some abs, you know? Do you know, I want some abs, like airbrushed in or something. Anyway, also, when I think about revenge, I so desperately want to get Dan Sarian back for making fun of me the other day during his uh, Taming of the Tongue sermon. But, uh, you know, I won't go there. You know, I'm not that kind of person to make fun of him (laughs) and put him, you know, I I mean, I just, I won't stoop to his level. You know, I'm not going to make fun of him. Why would I do that? That would be revenge. Anyway, so we all have that that same force that runs through us, where if somebody does something to us or hurts us or wrongs us, that we feel the need to get them back worse or at least get even. It's almost like a knee-jerk reaction. 
We want revenge, retaliation, and retribution. We need to pay them back for what they have done to us. We have to show them how much they hurt us or wronged us. We live in a culture where we hear or say things like, paybacks are hell. Don't mess with me. She had it coming to her. He got what he deserved. It serves them right. Or I need to teach them a lesson. Jesus wants to teach us a lesson. Here is the main point that I'm talking about this morning. The main point. Jesus wants us to love others without limits. The verses that we're going through this morning have to do with being peacemakers and being generous to others, even our enemies. Jesus teaches and shows us how to live out his upside-down kingdom in the here and now. I'm going to preface our scripture this morning with this. These verses are controversial. And uh, smart teachers will often skip right over them. So I have no clue what I'm doing this morning. Either I'm brave or I'm dumb. Um, We'll see here. But there's a lot of uh, debate surrounding these verses. So please give me a little grace as we go through is what's deemed as some of the most difficult verses in the entire Bible. You know, one commentary will say one thing, another commentary will say the exact opposite, so it gets really confusing at times. Even when we met as a preaching team to go over this, there was difficulty on the intention and and the, the meaning behind this section of the Bible. So, let's jump right in to the things that matter to God in the Sermon on the Mount. So you can uh, look up on the screens or open your Bibles to Matthew 5, 38 through 45. Woo. Here we go. An eye for an eye. You have heard that it was said eye for an eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, give him your cloak as well. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who asks from you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemies. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. Whew. Is this even livable? I mean, what is Jesus even talking about? Can this even be done? You know, when I, when I read this, I'm like, Jesus, are you serious? You don't expect us to really live like this, right? We are all going to fall short of doing these things. We're all going to fall short. It would be like us trying to jump from the earth to the moon. I mean, we're not even going to get close at all. So what we read right here, it is impossible. And Jesus knows that. Doing these things is not a matter of salvation. Doing these things is not a matter of salvation. We all know we are saved by grace, but... 
he does have a standard in which we are to strive for. To strive for. We are all to love like Christ, which means to love without limits. Are we going to fail? Yes. We're all going to fail. I fail at these things every single day. Does this mean we don't try? No. I find it amusing when people call Christians hypocrites. Yes, we're all hypocrites. We're all hypocrites. Look at how high Christ has set the bar for his followers to live. Look how high the bar is set for us. We're all going to fall short. It's tough to wrap my mind around what Jesus is really saying here. I think too often we skip over these verses because we've heard them too many times or eh, they seem to be so far out of our reach of actually living them. Jesus told us these things not so that we can think, argue, or rationalize them, but so that we can live them out right here. So what exactly is Christ wanting us to live out? Let's look at the context, dissect the verses, and see how they apply to us today. So this sermon was preached by Jesus roughly 1,988 years ago, most likely delivered the message while sitting down on a mountainside next to the Sea of Galilee. Scholars believe Jesus was speaking to the disciples and possibly 5,000 other people that day. So just imagine yourself right now. Just go there with me. Imagine yourself listening to the sermon given by a 30-year-old, dark-skinned, a plain-looking, skinny, ordinary man, possibly with, with long hair, most likely dirty old clothes with no social status, no formal education, a Jewish rabbi that once was a carpenter. And imagine the crowd. Imagine the people that were around him. He was followed around by teenage disciples that were tax collectors and fishermen. Many believe 100 women would follow him around wherever he went. And maybe his friend, like Mary Magdalene, the prostitute, may have been there. Imagine the rest of the crowd, the poor, the blind, the crippled, the hurting, the uneducated, all surrounding him. Some say these verses are too difficult and confusing, but I think Jesus knew his audience and made his sermon and illustration understandable and practical to the people back then so that everybody could comprehend what he was talking about. Even though the teaching was simple to understand, it was radical. And so we've looked at Matthew, how Matthew remembers it. Let's real quickly turn to Luke, Luke 6, 27. And let's see how Luke remembers this part of the sermon that day. This is Luke, 20, uh, Luke 6, 27 through 30. But I tell you who hear me, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone strikes you on the cheek, turn to him the other also. If someone takes your cloak, do not stop him from taking your tunic. Give to everyone who asks you, and if someone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Ah, Here it is again. The message is pretty clear and direct. And again, it's the opposite of everything I would naturally respond to in these situations. In the book Upside Down Kingdom, there's a great chart Um, in uh, his book. You have the type of person, 
You have the fair response, and you have the kingdom response. So with your enemies, you want to kill them. God wants us to what? Love them. The ones who hate us, we want to hate them back, but we're supposed to do good. The ones who curse us, we're supposed to, we want to curse them back. That's a fair response. But we're supposed to do what? Bless them. Abusers, we want to exploit them. God wants us to pray for them. Strikers, we want to slug them. Jesus says, turn the other cheek, and we're going to talk about the context there in a second. Beggars, we want to avoid. God says to give. Thieves, we want to prosecute. Jesus says, do not ask for your goods back. What is going on here? This is simple, yet so radical. And it was pushing up against their own nature, just as it does right now for a lot of us. As we're sitting here, it's like confusion, and then we're trying to think about things, and there's, it's kind of frustrating, and then there's guilt for the things, not being able to do this, and there's maybe a little anxiety. I don't know. But it was pushing up against their own human nature, and it was seemingly contradictory to everything they had heard before. Jesus says uh, in verse 538, you have heard that it was said. And this is straight from the Old Testament, three different times. Eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, Jesus is referring to the law in the Old Testament, but now he wants us to understand the meaning and God's heart behind it. Another way to look at it is, you have heard people interpret that verse this way. But I tell you that this is what God really means in these verses. People back before the law, they were getting each other back worse than an eye for an eye. So God tried to put a limit on it by saying, okay, okay, okay. Eye for an eye, and that's it. This law allows one to get even within limits. It does not require one to get even. So even in the Old Testament, one could forego retaliation, but Jesus wants to look at the deeper meaning behind the law. See, the way of Jesus stops the ongoing circle of violence, retaliation, and revenge. You do something to me, you insult me, I insult you back. Well, you, then you get me back, and then I get you back. And this way, it stops that. The way of Jesus stops that ongoing circle. Imagine if we were to live this out as a church and as a community, and individually. So it's the same message, just a better picture of what God ultimately wants from us. In the next uh, verses, Jesus is going to show us the true heart of God and how he wants us to live them out. So Jesus is going to give us six examples, illustrations, or commands on what it means to love without limits, to love without limits. Here's six things that matter to God. Do not resist an evil person, and we'll get to the context. Do not uh, uh, turn the other cheek, get to the context. Turn over two garments if sued for one, go the extra mile. Give to the one who asks from you, and love your enemy, and pray for them. Whew. These are some tough things. So let's get on to the dreaded Matthew 5.39, but do not resist an evil person. What if somebody is coming into my house, and they're going to try to kill my kids, all right? No, this verse has nothing to do about that whatsoever. Resist here contextually means retaliate against or do not render evil for evil. This is about revenge, not self-defense 
or retaliation or, uh, well, it is about retaliation, but it's not self-defense or preservation. He isn't saying to be weak or passive. The key is we are not to be vindictive. If somebody does something evil to me, how can I respond with good? That's what God is looking for. I'm going to read Romans uh, 12, 17. I think they're up on the screen here. Romans, where am I? Oh, Romans 12. I was like, 17? Romans doesn't have a 17. What's, what's going on here? Let's go to Romans 12, 17 through 19. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. And then he goes on, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Can we think of somebody that's wronged us, hurt our feelings, or done something evil against us? How did we respond? How does God want us to respond? We are to fight evil with good. Number two, turn the other cheek. Another tough verse. Jesus says in Matthew 5 through 9, if someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Contextually, this verse is not about self-defense, but about hate, contempt, and insult. Back then in Jewish culture, a slap to the right cheek symbolized ultimate contempt and insult. The key here is to turn the insult around by not insulting back. We're not to trade insult for insult. Jesus wants us to forego getting even. I don't know about you, but I've been hated, looked down upon, and insulted, and God wants me to do what? <laughs> turn the other cheek? Why? It leaves, leaves room. It leaves room for retaliation in God's hands. Peter wrote about Jesus in 1 Peter 2.23. When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. We must turn the other cheek when we are insulted, looked down upon, or hated. And this isn't easy for me. I remember a time years ago when a friend pulled me aside and just let me have it. I mean, this person insulted me, called me names, challenged my character and integrity, and I was crushed. I was torn up. It was tough. So I decided to turn the other cheek. I didn't gossip about what happened, and I didn't insult that person back. But what I did do is I gave this person the silent treatment for like a year. This person hurt me, so now I'm going to hurt them. I thought I was turning the other cheek, but I wasn't. I was trying to hurt him like he hurt me. Turn the other cheek. Number three, turn over two garments if sued for one. Jesus says in Matthew 5.40, someone wants to sue 
you and take your tunic, let them have your cloak as well. Contextually, the tunic or the shirt was the undergarment and the more valuable outer garment, which was used as a sleeping cover, was the cloak or the coat. If someone takes you to court and wants your shirt, go ahead and give them your coat. If they want it so badly, go ahead and give it to them. What in the world? <laughs> if we were to pull back from this verse uh, a little bit from the context, I have a story about my friends Chuck and Leslie Moore. Uh, they were sleeping one night in bed. Leslie woke up to some funny noises downstairs. And as, so she was like, oh, I gotta investigate and see what's going on. So she started walking down the stairs and it startled the intruder. And he, he proceeded to run out of the house. Leslie quickly, she looked around to see what was going on and she realized they were getting robbed. And you know what she did? And I'm not saying this is safe. I'm not saying this is a good idea. I'm not, I'm not saying any of those kinds of things. I'm just saying she ran out after him and said, do you need anything else? Whoo! <sighs> if they want your shirt, give them your coat as well. She was living this out. They want it so badly, go ahead and give it to them. Inside these verses, why would we give them our coat too? Because Jesus wants us to be peacemakers, to show limitless love, to be generous, and maybe this upside-down response to a lawsuit or the situation would change somebody else's heart. We live in a sue-happy culture. I know for, for me right now, my car insurance company is going after the person's insurance company who hit me. And what am I supposed to do? Tell them to not go after? I don't know. I mean, it was her fault. And they're not paying. It's tough to know how to live these verses out. Uh, this lawsuit may be real. It may be a hoax. I found it on Yahoo News, uh, yahoonews.com. And everything on the internet is basically true. So uh, this happened last year uh, where a man sued his wife, well, now his ex-wife, because they had ugly children and he won. No joke, this is horrible. He was awarded $120,000 because his wife failed to mention that... Uh, that she had $100,000 of plastic surgery before they got married and had kids. Um, we live in a Sue happy culture. Also, this week on the news, an 18-year-old is suing her parents this week uh, because they are refusing to pay her private schooling education. But so what do we do? We all have enemies. They may try to sue us and take us to court. We must seek to turn our enemies into friends. And that's easier said than done, especially when it involves our money and our stuff. Abraham Lincoln said, am I not destroying my enemies when I make friends of them? If I fulfill Jesus' words in Matthew 5, 39 through 42, how will I make friends with those who treat me poorly? Number four, go the extra mile. Matthew 5, for one, if someone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Contextually, Rome's, uh, Roman soldiers could force civilians to carry their gear for up to one mile. The Jews would measure out exactly 1,000 steps and then 
set the Roman soldiers' gear down. If I lived back then, I would have to do probably roughly 2,200 steps because my legs are so short. But uh, the Jews, the Jews hated the Roman soldiers. And Jesus says, go beyond what is expected or demanded. Go the extra mile. Why? God wins over people when we are generous like our God. How can we go the extra mile? Be generous and cheerfully go beyond what is required in our relationships, the church, community, and the world. And the context here is with your enemy. But what if we pull back a little bit and include everybody? You know, your neighbor wants you to to unload dirt from his truck. Why not try to uh, help him plant the tree as well? Your spouse wants you to vacuum. Why not uh, wash the sink? Your boss asks you uh, to finish a project no later than Saturday. Why not cheerfully turn it in on Friday? Your in-laws need help moving for two hours. Why not give them three? Your parents ask you to clean your room. Why not also clean the bathroom? How amazing would it, oh, okay, there we go. Okay, okay, so I get some cheers whenever I talk about parents and disciplining their kids and what they need to do. Okay, I'll keep that in my mind. Okay, uh, what if your parents ask you to mow the lawn and you decide to trim, no, just kidding. Anyway, but God wants to show limitless, God wants us to show limitless love by going the extra mile. How amazing would it be if we got done doing something for our enemy and then asked them, is there anything else that you need me to do? What a witness. Number five, give to the one who asks from you. Matthew 5.42, give to the one who asks from you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Contextually, this is about lending, the lending laws, and about the poor people that were truly in legitimate need. Jesus wants us to be generous, and yet, at the same time, discerning and good stewards with our money while giving our money away to others in need without expecting to be paid back. Do we know anybody, whether in our community, the family, or the world that is truly in need? Christ is saying, if they ask you, loan them money, if they don't pay you back, consider it a gift. Whether it's a little or a lot of money, we are to loan people that are in need that ask us for it. When we do this, we show that our security is not found in our stuff or money or financials, but our security is found in our loving creator. Jesus wants us to be generous with our money and lend without expecting anything in return. This is limitless love. Last one, number six, love your enemies and pray for them. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. Contextually, Jews were allowed to hate their enemies. It matters to God how we treat each other, especially our enemies. It matters, uh, that matters to God. All of us here know people that hate us or that we hate. We have all done evil things towards others or had evil done to us. We all have enemies. 
or is seen as the enemy in somebody's eyes? Have you ever despised somebody, but then once you got to know them, you actually liked them? It's important to put ourselves in other people's shoes. Empathy and sympathy can melt away our hate. It's tough to hate somebody that you're praying for. Holding on to hate is exhausting. We don't like them. We don't have to like them, but Christ calls us to love them and pray for them. And how can we make these little steps towards loving our enemies? Obviously, it starts with God. It starts with prayer. But maybe we have an an enemy. Maybe we have an enemy. And maybe we need to write them a letter. Or maybe the next step for us would just be able to look at them. Or maybe a phone call. Or maybe a hug. Or maybe even a short, painful conversation. Or maybe it starts with forgiving them. We have an awesome, amazing video. It's about a minute long of a guy named Stephen McDonald and his story about forgiveness. So let's watch this video. It was here in Central Park, July 12, 1986. McDonald and his supervisor encountered some suspected bicycle thieves. One of them held a gun to McDonald's head. He pulled the trigger on the gun, and I watched it explode, uh, a reddish-orange flame jumping out of the gun, what really I remember most, it was so terribly loud. Shot three times, he was left quadriplegic. He still breathes on a ventilator. 15-year-old Shavad Jones was convicted. Instead of revenge, McDonald offered forgiveness. Today's 25 years ago that I was shot. Had I sought revenge, I, I would have been a dead man already. His wife encouraged him to begin speaking about gun violence. In 1995, he met with Pope John Paul II. That same year, he was promoted to detective. He spoke at two Republican conventions. In 2004, he was promoted to detective first grade. It's a truly a blessing how we've evolved to where we are today. To me, he's my hero because he goes through so much pain that we will never ever understand. Last month, McDonald suffered a nearly fatal blood infection, but he's recovered and says he is an instrument of God's peace. That God has a plan for me. Um, it's different from other people, and that's the only reason why I'm here. When you meet him or hear him speak with his powerful message of forgiveness, you can't help but feel you were in the presence of someone extraordinary. Oh, amazing this man is. We actually had him speak here about... I don't know, 10 or 15 years ago, he spoke. He was right here up on stage, and I even visited him in the hospital and different things like that. Absolutely amazing man of God. He forgave the person, his enemy, that shot him, that has now left him in a wheelchair for the rest of his life, paralyzed from the neck down and on a ventilator for the rest of his life. He forgave his shooter. I don't know about you, but that inspires me. If he can forgive his enemy that left him this way, I can forgive somebody that's insulted me or that's looked at me wrong. With our enemies, we can't forget that God loves them too, that God created them, that God also died for them. That person that is taking us to court, that person that's insulting us, that person that's gossiping about us, that person is asking for money, 
that person is looking down on us, that person is asking us to do something inconvenient, that person who is emotionally hurting us, whatever it may be, God's limitless love reaches out to them too. How can we be more merciful, better peacemakers, and more generous in our relationships with others and especially our enemies? And who do we hate? Who is our enemy? What does your enemy look like? What does my enemy look like? Maybe it's a specific person. Maybe it's a, a group. Maybe your enemy is from a different culture or race or different country. Maybe it's of a specific gender. Maybe it's um, somebody with a different sexual orientation. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a son or daughter that you have not talked to in years. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's somebody with a different religion. Maybe it's a mother or a father. I know a lot of rich that hate the poor. I know a lot of poor that hate the rich. Maybe an ex. Maybe the government. Maybe the president. Maybe your loud next-door neighbor. Uh, Maybe a soccer mom. Maybe, maybe you're sleeping with the enemy. Uh, maybe it's the Seattle Seahawks. You know, maybe it's a teacher. It could be Dan Searing, for all I know, or, or, or your boss. I don't know who our enemy is or who they are, but God wants us to do not resist. Turn the other cheek. Turn over two garments. Go the extra mile. Give the one who asks and love your enemy and pray for them. In conclusion, Jesus not only taught this, but lived it out in an extreme, extreme literal way. When, when Judas was coming to turn over Jesus to the authorities, Jesus said, friend, do what you came for. He calls him friend. He calls Judas friend. Jesus, who already knew Judas was coming to betray him, instead of insulting him, called him friend. And then he did not resist an evil a person. Because why? The guards grabbed Jesus and arrested him. Peter then took out a sword and cut off one of the high priest's ear, and Jesus then heals that person's ear. Jesus goes the extra mile. He could have just said, oh, stop, Peter, uh, just don't do that. But he goes the extra mile and healing him, his enemy. Then later, before the Sanhedrin, they begin to spit on him and hit him. And again, this is a literal sense, a little different than the context we were looking at earlier. But then Jesus literally turns the other cheek. Later, Jesus allowed his, all of his clothes to be taken from him. Jesus let them take his garments. And then on the cross, one of the criminals hurled insults at him. He didn't retaliate. Then, as his enemies are crucifying him, he says, Father, forgive them. They do not even know what they are doing. Jesus then prays for his enemies. We have an extreme example of how we are to live this out. Limitless love is not easy, and we can't do this on our own without the power of Christ living within us. Thank God we have a Savior and a God who has limitless love for us. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you um, for this morning. We just thank you 
for this church. We thank you for all the volunteers, just everybody that helps out, Father God. And uh, God, we are so thankful that we have your word to look to and that we have your son as an example. Help us to live and be more like him. We pray for all of these things, your name. And everybody said, amen. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for letting me share this morning. Appreciate it. Have a, have a good day and get some sleep. You know, get a little sleep today. Catch up.